This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It is September the 11th, 2023, uh, 22 years ago from the time that all our worlds were changed. Um, and I've seen things online over the weekend because people were ramping up to the uh, the remembrance of this and people saying, you know, enough already, you know, let's stop talking about this. Let's, you know, it's terrible, but we need to move on. And and, and, and I I have to be honest, and, and I don't think this will ever happen. But I almost think that here in the United States, we should consider this being a national day of remembrance. I don't want to call it a holiday, but it should be a day that is treated like One of the other federal holidays, have the banks closed, have the mail service closed, have the schools closed, uh, have a lot of businesses closed. Um, because I think this is something that we can't ever forget. And I think uh, he, 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 it could happen again. You'd like to think it couldn't, but we know it could. You know, it was the first time that, that terrorists had, had brought this kind of thing to our shores, and they brought it in a big, big way. And I think it is something that we have to always remember. You know, it is there's that old saying that those of us that fail to remember the lessons of history are doomed to repeat the mistakes. And, and we can't ever let up our diligence we have to remember 9-11. Whether, you know, is it pleasant? Of course not. But we have to remember. And we have to remember those people. I was in between uh, football games last night at the end of the 4 o'clock games. And uh, before the Sunday night game started, I watched 60 Minutes. And it was the uh, a whole thing about the FDNY and how many people, 383 people, I think they lost that day. And how they've had to rebuild the fire department in New York and how some of the children of the firefighters who lost their lives that day are now firefighters themselves is moving. 
I will never forget 9-11. I was driving to work um, and uh, at, at one of the at Central Connecticut State University where I worked and uh, was listening to Imus in the Morning, Don Imus in, on uh, WFAN in New York, and uh, they they made news. Uh, they made uh, mention of a plane hitting the World Trade Center, and the initial reports when it was over the radio, people thought it was just, you know, maybe some, you know, some small plane had uh, had crashed, uh, just like it had happened into the uh, Empire State Building in World War II. Uh, a plane crashed into it, but this was this was not what anybody uh, an airliner was not what people were expecting. Well, by the time we got, I got to my office, we knew what it was. I had been in my office for all of 15 or 20 minutes when the second plane hit, and the world just stopped. It just stopped. It for days. I watched nothing but that for days. And, you know, it's funny that uh, we became a kinder, gentler, more loving country for a couple of months. We did nice things for each other. Crime went down. Things changed. But like everything, they went back to the way they were. But but it shook the United States to its core. And we can never forget that. Um, I lost an acquaintance in, in 9-11. I, you know, I, I don't know that we, I could say we were close friends, but we were. Uh, he was a graduate of Western New England University where I worked for 14 years. And I uh, was a member of the football team. I worked in the athletic department. And Jim Geyer and I used to talk on the phone every week during football season. Every week we would talk about what happened, you know, in the game on Saturday. And, you know, he was a, a donor to the program who had done very well for himself after graduating in 1982. Played football there for four years. And uh, so we talked every week. He worked for Cantor Fitzgerald. He was on the 105th floor. And uh, lost his life that day. He was 41 years old. He had a wife and three kids. And I had left Western New England um, two years earlier to go to Central Connecticut. and uh, But I knew that he worked there. And I had a couple of other uh, friends who worked in the World Trade Center. One of which got out. The other one didn't go to work that day. But Jim Guy was 41 years old. And Western New England retired his number. Division three school. You don't see that very often. Um, and uh, so, you know, and I think of Jim Geyer every year at this time. We have to never forget. Never forget. I mean, and, and I really do believe that that we should consider making it a national day of remembrance, closing the federal government for the day, closing schools, closing, you know, just just let people take that day to remember. And it's not maudlin. It's there's you know, it's the right thing to do because we have to remember. We can't let it happen again. So, uh, you know, uh, I'll be spending a lot of time. To, I actually, and, and I don't know that I'll watch it, but I have a couple of documentaries about 9-11, and it really it brings it back, and it feels, you know, it's almost like it feels 
fresh all over again, and it's not necessarily a wound you want to open, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, I guess in some ways, I mean, a lot of people, that was a defining moment for a couple of generations, right? I mean, defining moments, you know, think about it, I guess, uh, you know, back in the uh, 1700s, defining moment, the Revolutionary War, but that was an ex- a protracted, you know, number of years the civil war right that lasted for four years from 1861 to 1865 um but moments uh, i'm talking like uh and a defining moment it, dropping the atomic bomb on hiroshima in japan that's a defining moment john f kennedy getting shot and killed was a defining moment you know, everybody that uh, of my parents' generation remembers where they were when they got the news that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. And everybody remembers where they were, how they heard, and people that they may have known that perished in 9-11. It's a defining moment, and it's uh, I think it would be uh, appropriate uh, to make it something that we remember every year we probably won't because people don't like to be reminded of sad things but i think it would be uh, a great thing to do uh they did it last uh, they remembered it last night um in east rutherford new jersey just across the uh the river from new york city Guys were, uh, they, they had a moment of silence remembering the firefighters and everybody who lost their lives uh, on 9-11. Coaches were wearing FDNY caps. Um, you know, and unfortunately for the Giants, it didn't, New York Giants, it didn't go well as uh, Dallas crushed them 40 to nothing. But, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot about 9-11 today, as we should. And, and I hope, uh, you know, look, if, I hope that you don't say, uh, and roll your eyes. You know, let's just take a moment to remember the number of people that are, are still around today that are impacted by what happened at 9-11, whether uh, they were there and escaped, whether they lost somebody, whether they knew somebody that died, whatever. I mean, it, there are so many people, you know, uh, a couple of thousand people died, but just think about the number of people, the, the ripple effects across this country from what happened that day and the long cleanup afterwards. So anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's I, you know, I didn't mean to start it on a downer, but it's one of those things I just, uh, and I knew 9-11 was coming today, but it it wasn't until I watched that 60 Minutes thing last night between football games that it really hit me, you know, and uh, and I started thinking about Jim Geyer again um, from Western New England, and I, I, I decided that uh, that's how I felt I had to start the show today, and, you know, maybe I will every year on 9-11 if, if it falls on a day when we have a show. So, anyway. Uh, all right. Uh, good morning. As I said, uh, the NFL started last night. Uh, the Giants, <laughs> whew, the Giants were supposed to uh, have an improved offense this year. <laughs> Not so much. Uh, and I'll tell you what. Look, the the Cowboys last night were they great? No. You say, what do you mean they weren't great? They scored forty points. Dak Prescott was eh. You know, he was thirteen of twenty four last night, one hundred forty three yards. Eh. You know, he didn't do anything special. 
Tony Pollard didn't do anything special. CeeDee Lamb didn't do anything special for the Cowboys last night. But, man, that defense was good. Really good. You know, and uh, turnovers, big part of this game. Giants missed a, you know, missed a couple of field goals. Not that a couple of field goals in a 40 to nothing game is going uh, to be that big a deal. But uh, Dallas turned them over three times last night, and every one of them hurt. Every one of them hurt. You know, and, and actually the, one of the missed field goals by, Gano was, uh, by Graham Gano was actually blocked and returned 58 yards for a touchdown. So every mistake by the Giants hurt last night. So, you know, uh, if you're a Dallas fan, you're thrilled you won 40 to nothing. But at the same time, I don't know that you're doing cartwheels because it wasn't like, um, you know, it was some offensive juggernaut. And the Cowboys will get to play the other New York team next week, the New York Jets. Uh, So that'll be interesting. The Giants get to play a very bad Arizona team. And uh, so, I mean, you'd think the Giants will have a chance to uh, lick their wounds and and make themselves feel a whole hell of a lot better next week. But uh, as they remembered 9-11 in New Jersey last night, uh, the the Dallas Cowboys just laid the hammer down and uh, came away with a very, very easy victory. Uh, A game that I thought was going to be an easy victory for the Philadelphia Eagles Turned out to not be. I mean, it, look, uh, the New England Patriots could have won this game yesterday. You could make the case that they should have won that game yesterday. They got off to a really bad start. You know, a tip pass that Darius Slay intercepts, returns 70 yards for a touchdown. Um, you know, Mac Jones had a really bad first quarter. I think he completed, you know, I think he threw for like 13 yards or something awful like that in the first quarter. Um, But, man, that Eagles team never found the end zone after the first quarter. They got an interception return for a touchdown in the first, and then uh, uh, Jalen Hurts throws a five-yard pass for a touchdown it's 16 nothing at the end of one, and I'm like, oh, boy. You know, I'm ready to, like, roll up the white flag. And then here comes Mac Jones, and Mac Jones, ladies and gentlemen, those, of, those people that thought Mac Jones might not be the answer in New England and might not be that good, you might want to rethink that because the kid looked really good yesterday. Uh, you can you – can, Put this right at the feet of the new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. The way he got guys involved in that passing game yesterday, guys like Kendrick Bourne, who had, I think, one touchdown reception all of last season, had two yesterday. Hunter Henry, who for a good part of last season was the invisible man. Uh, Big game as well for the Patriots yesterday. Some big catches, five for uh, 56 yards. They did not run the ball well. They, you know, look, they were uh, pedestrian at best on the ground. Zeke Elliott, seven carries for 29 yards to lead the Patriots. But Zeke Elliott had a big fumble in the first quarter. 
Um, so the Patriot offense was was sputtering at first, but then Mac Jones got it going. Threw for 316 yards, three touchdowns, that one interception. Uh, took a couple of sacks, but he was pretty good. He was pretty good. And they did a great job on Jalen Hurts. Uh you know, 22 for 33. He only ran for 37 yards. You know, they they contained him for the most part. But that Patriot defense from the very beginning was really, really good. You know, that's where the Patriots are going to win games this year. Yes, Mac Jones is better. You know, uh, this team should be fine offensively. But that defense has the a chance to be special. Now, let's not get carried away with one game, but let's remember this is the team that made it to the Super Bowl last year and a team that is loaded. And the Patriots held the Eagles yesterday to 251 yards of offense. 251 yards. The Patriots had 382. They dominated this game. That defense dominated this game. Uh, big. They caused a big fumble late in the game. Hurts fumbled the ball. Got the Patriots got it back with a chance to win the game. And it looked like they might have a legit shot. A catch um, on a fourth and eleven looked like it, it. And the referees had ruled that it had been caught inside the ten yard line. On when they review it, it looked you know obviously one of the feet didn't get down, so it was overturned, and they they give it away on downs. But boy, you know, a, a big catch by Mike Kosicki with about a minute left. Then Jones takes the sack, and and they damn near pulled it off on that fourth down play. Now, what was interesting to me this morning, reading the Boston Globe, you know, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the hometown paper for the Patriots, I found it very interesting that nowhere in the coverage of that Patriots game yesterday did people question the decision that Bill Belichick made in this game to go for it in the fourth quarter, on a fourth, I believe it was fourth and 19. I think it was fourth and 19. Then there's like a, uh, a false start penalty that makes it fourth and 24. They've still got three timeouts. Your defense has played well in the second half. And they choose to go for it. They're kind of like uh, reminiscent of what Andy Reid did on a, a fourth and, and forever uh, in the opener for the Chiefs. And nobody took Bill Belichick to task for that. And, you know, it's like, you know, how dare you question, you know, Bill Belichick. He's a genius. Bill Belichick made some mistakes. And if they don't, if they, if they don't go for it there, and they get a three and out, 
you know, maybe things are a little bit different. There was another situation in the game that he uh, – a, 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 a Choice that he made when they were down in Phil- deep in Philadelphia territory. And they passed up a field goal attempt. And if they kick the field goal late in the game, they only need a field goal. They don't need a touchdown. You know, so there were a couple of times in this game where you have to question some decisions that Bill made. And it's okay to do that, even though people don't think you should. So, you know, there were a couple of times that that I thought that, that he made some mistakes. But I thought that overall, if you're a Patriot fan, I don't think many Patriot fans, if, if a, look, uh, Dan Zampano, who's on here every Friday, is a as big a Patriot fan as you will ever meet. Even he didn't think the Patriots were going to win this game. He said, is there a way that they could? Sure. Do I think they will? No. And he was right. But if you are a Patriots fan, you have to be encouraged by what you saw, um, especially the defense. You have to be encouraged by the way that offensive line played. Look, they had guys in this game – uh, on the offensive line that played their asses off. You know, with uh, injuries, they had to play a couple of uh, uh, rookie guards, and they played well. Antonio Maffi and, uh, uh, and Sal played left and right guard with uh, on when you out. Cole Strange was out. Those two rookies looked awesome. The, matter of fact, they made a point. Was the, the, the five guys that started on the offensive line for the Patriots, it was the first time they had ever played together, which included practice and preseason. And by and large, they were up to the task. So, again, encouraging for the Patriots is still a loss. But next week, uh, they've got to take on the Miami Dolphins. A really, really good, oh, my God. If you look at that that offense for the Miami Dolphins and uh, people that doubt Tua Tungavailoa, look, I know that he's got some great weapons. But I'm telling you what, it, 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 he was dropping some dimes yesterday. Uh, so the Patriots are going to have their hands full. I guess the good news is they have them in New England, and it's on a Sunday night. Uh, you got to hope that uh, they can hang. But that, and we'll find out, I guess, how good that Patriot defense really is, because that Dolphin offense is dynamite. We'll talk about that when we come back. We're going to take a break. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Thirty-one minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on. A Monday morning, uh, I mentioned the Dolphins, uh, Tua Tungavailoa, 466 yards passing yesterday, three touchdowns. Uh, That's the fourth most yards ever thrown in an opening uh, game in an NFL season. 
this was a wild game. The uh, the Dolphins come out with a 36-34 victory uh, over the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, a four-yard pass to Tyreek Hill with 145 was the difference in this. And I'll tell you, you know, look, Tyreek Hill has ridiculous speed, and a lot of people have made the case that it doesn't matter who's throwing the football for the Dolphins. When you have Tyree Kill, uh, who can outrun everybody, you just got to be able to put the ball in the right place. And there is something to that. But Tyree Kill yesterday uh, had 11 catches, 215 yards, a couple of touchdowns. But the throw that Tungavailoa made in the final two minutes, that four-yarder, it was to the back right corner of the end zone with a defensive back all over him. And Tua had to drop that in a bucket for Hill to be able to catch it, and he put it in the exact right place for the touchdown. Unbelievable. Uh, And that capped off an eight-play, 75-yard drive. And, uh, uh, you know, look, Tua's been under a lot of pressure. A lot of people thought he shouldn't even play anymore because of the concussions. He worked hard to get himself in shape. He put on some weight. He bulked up. And he led that Miami offense to 536 yards of offense yesterday. A set a franchise record um, for the Dolphins. It's the most yards that the Chargers have given up in an opener. Miami had nine plays of at least 21 yards. I mean, it's just you you look at all these numbers and you have to be amazed that the Chargers even stayed in this game. And how did they stay in this game? They ran the football. They've got one of the best passing quarterbacks in Justin Herbert, but they stayed in this game by running the football. The Chargers rushed for 234 yards. And by the way, if you're the Patriots and you're looking at that, that is where the Patriots go to school. That is where you say next week, we're not going to win this game by Mac Jones trying to outgun Tua. We have to run the football. They're going to need uh, Ramondi Stevenson and Zeke Elliott to have big games next week. Austin Eckler yesterday, 117 yards. Joshua Kelly had 91 yards. Herbert ran for 18 by himself. They 234 yards rushing. So that's where the Dolphins are vulnerable, at least now. You know, a lot has been made, you know, of the fact that, uh, you know, there's been some changes in the defensive coordinator there, and, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, but, but is that, at the end of the day, if you can run the football, that's how you're going to beat this Dolphin team. But you got to be able to play defense, too. And the Chargers had a little bit of trouble doing that yesterday. Uh, Patriot defense, de- definitely better than, than the Chargers. There's no question about that. So we'll see next Sunday night. But, boy, that Dolphin team, that's scary. I mean, and, and I'm watching the NFL Network yesterday, like the highlights, and I'm watching uh, NBC last night, the highlights. I mean, you know, people are like – this is like one of the fastest offenses I've ever seen in the NFL. Well, let's, you know, let's calm down. You know, and let's find let's let's see if Tua can repeat this. Let's see if the offensive line can keep Tua upright. You know, but the Charger defense uh did not uh 
strike a lot of fear into the hearts of Miami yesterday. The Patriots should be better than that, and it should be an interesting game uh, next week. Uh, the Chargers, by the way, will have to play at Tennessee uh, next Sunday. Uh, that Tennessee team, whew, um, I, look, I don't know, but Mike Vrabel's got uh, he's got his work cut out for him. And I'm not saying that uh, Ryan Tannehill is the problem. And you can't read too much into week one. Right, you know, you don't want to overreact, which is why, again, with this whole Miami thing, you know, you don't want to go crazy because it's Week One. Same thing, I guess, if you are uh, a Tennessee Titan fan. Ryan Tannehill yesterday, sixteen for thirty-four, no touchdowns. He threw three interceptions. Derrick Henry was held to sixty-three yards by that New Orleans defense. Now that defense is pretty good. But, you know, with all the wear and tear, the number of carries that Derrick Henry has had over the last seven, eight years, you wonder if that – people wonder at what point that takes its toll. Could that be taking a toll? Again, it's week one. Let's not go crazy. But that offense for Tennessee was impotent yesterday. They managed five field goals. They managed just 285 yards of offense. So if you're a Titan fan, outside of the fact that your kicker was really good, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, outside of that, you don't have a lot to hang your hat on. Nick Folk is your hero of the game if you're Tennessee. Now, on the New Orleans side of the football, look, you're thrilled that you got the win. Derek Carr's debut for the Saints. And look, threw for 300 yards, 23 for 33, but he took, he took four sacks, threw a pick. Um, you know, he, he, he did make some big passes. Chris Olave had a huge game, 112 yards. Uh, nice pass to uh, Rashid Shahid. 19-yard touchdown in the third quarter that was the first touchdown of the game, by the way. Minute 23 to go in the third before we had a touchdown. It was a field goal battle until then. Each team had three field goals. Uh, Shahid, by the way, great story. This is a guy who's in his second year. He was undrafted from Weber State. And uh, catches the big touchdown. He had a nice day. Five catches, 89 yards. And Derek Carr gets the win. You know, look, there's never been any question about whether the fact Derek Carr can throw. You know, and, you know, he he had some times in, in, you know, his tenure with the Raiders where, you know, he had some big games. The question is, is, you know, can he sustain it and is he a winner? They made the, the playoffs a total of two times while he was with the Raiders. But since Drew Brees retired... It's been a uh, game of musical chairs at quarterback for the Saints. So they needed Derek Carr to at least give them some stability. And I think that, you know, he will – they may well win that division. And they have to play a not very good uh, Carolina team next week on Monday night. And the the Titans, by the way, get to play the Chargers. 
and you're going to have to score some points. And the only again, you don't want to overreact to week one, but if I'm the Titan fan, I'm worried about Ryan Tannehill. But that you know, I, you know, I may be overreacting, but I'd be worried. Um, another quarterback making his debut for a new team, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, gets the start for the Raiders. And hits Jacoby Myers with a six-yard pass with about six and a half minutes to play. And the Raiders, on the road, beat Sean Payton in his debut as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Um, Garoppolo was was Jimmy. He was efficient. 20 for 26, 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns, an interception. He's not, he's not a guy that's going to go out there and... Be flashy. He is a great game control quarterback. And if he doesn't get hurt, he generally won't kill you. He'll keep you in games. And he did that yesterday. If you're a Bronco fan, you have to be encouraged because Russell Wilson looked better than he did all of last year. Were his numbers spectacular? Well, he had a 108 quarterback rating. He was 27 of 34, but only threw for 177. Couple of touchdowns, but most importantly, he didn't throw an interception. Only got sacked twice. So it was a more efficient Russell Wilson, the, a guy that they had hoped that they were getting. But at the end of the day, this was a this was two teams that offensively have some work to do. Neither one of them had more than 260 yards of offense. So, you know, it was a, a lunch pail, ugly kind of game. Both quarterbacks were efficient. But it's hard to get excited about the prospects for either one of them, which, by the way, when Dan Zabonet was giving us his uh, predictions for the season, he only had one team coming out of the AFC West, and that's – the Chiefs. You know, and it's funny because just a couple of years ago, everybody thought that the AFC West was going to be like the best division in football, you know, with the Raiders and, you know, when Derek Carr was still there and when Russell Wilson came to Denver, everybody thought that he was going to be the difference maker in Denver. And of course, the Chargers had, you know, Herbert and Eckler and uh, yeah. And we've gone from that to the Chiefs and everybody else. Uh, the Raiders get to play Buffalo next Sunday. Good luck. The Broncos have a chance next week. Um, you know, and find out if Russell Wilson can put back-to-back games together. They will host the not-very-good Washington Commanders next week. But a, a decent debut for Jimmy Garoppolo and in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, Jordan Love gets his first game as a starter, as the starter. I mean, he had one other start. And that was uh, when uh, COVID happened and Aaron Rodgers went down. But Jordan Love yesterday, three touchdown passes, and they uh, whacked the Bears 38-20. to uh, And look, Justin Fields threw for 216 yards. His numbers weren't horrendous. Got sacked four times, ran for 59 yards. At the end of the day, Chicago is not going to improve unless they can turn Justin Fields into a guy who can be – a guy who looks to pass first, run second. Right now, that's not 
who he is. But Jordan Love yesterday, a little bit of a rough start, but if you look at the end of the day, three touchdown passes, no interceptions. You know, you'd like his passing percentage to be up a little more. He was 15 of 27, 245 yards, 38-20. You knew that, you know, and this was one of those weird ones. When you're looking uh, uh, at the line this week. The Chicago Bears were actually favored in this game because it was in Chicago and I guess I guess because Jordan Love was uh, was untested. The Bears were a point and a half favorite. 38-20 Green Bay. The Packers get to play Atlanta next Sunday. Advantage Packers obviously and the Bears get to play Tampa. That'll be an interesting game. Uh, with uh, with Baker Mayfield and the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, but Baker Mayfield, uh, in his debut with the Bucks this week, he gets a win. Another quarterback in a new location, played well. Twenty one thirty four, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He only got sacked once. Um, had a big play late in this game, with about three minutes to go on a big third and two play. Runs right, picks up the first down. And uh, then makes another big catch on a th- uh, or another big pass on a third and ten. He hits Chris Godwin to pick up a first down with two minutes to go, and they hang on and they beat the Minnesota Vikings twenty to seventeen. That's that's despite, by the way, Kirk Cousins throwing for three hundred and forty four yards. Um, you know, look, um, this Tampa offense has some weapons, obviously with with Evans and Godwin. You know, they are, they've got some receivers. The question is going to be whether Baker Mayfield is going to be able to get the football to them. He looked pretty good yesterday, but let's not get carried away. Tampa still only had 242 yards of offense in this game. 242 yards. But they made the big plays when they needed to. You know, I'm not convinced that Baker Mayfield is the answer in Tampa, but at least for this week he was. And they get to play, as I said, Chicago next week. And the Vikings get to play the Eagles. Um, And uh, this Minnesota team last year, if you remember, there were a lot of games. They were down late. And they found ways to come back and win. They had none of that magic yesterday. They didn't score. They scored like with about a minute um, minute into the fourth quarter. And then they were held off the board the rest of the way. So uh, not a lot of magic yesterday. And a solid win uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks yesterday, good way for the Baker Mayfield era to start there. Uh, as I mentioned, the uh, Commanders they did get a win this week. They beat the Arizona Cardinals twenty to sixteen. A dumb off. Neither neither one of those teams are very good. The most surprising game to me yesterday, and some people might say, "Well, it's the 49ers beating Pittsburgh." I don't know about that. Uh, 49ers beat Pittsburgh thirty to seven. I thought Pittsburgh would give them a better game. But the surprise game to me yesterday was the Cleveland Browns beating the Cincinnati Bengals 24-3. Joe Burrow, oh, my God, 14 of 31 for just 82 yards. And make no mistake, Deshaun Watson was not great for Cleveland. But uh, Nick Chubb ran for 106 yards, and uh, this Cleveland team pummeled Cincinnati 24 to three, they held Cincinnati to just six first downs the entire game. A hundred and forty-two yards of offense for this Cincinnati team with a guy in Joe Burrow who is perhaps one of the top three or four MVP candidates in the NFL this year. 
So to me, that was the shock of yesterday. I mean, I never, ever saw that one coming. And tonight, fun game. A lot of storylines in this one. Buffalo, DeMar Hamlin back after suffering cardiac arrest on the field last year. He's back uh, in the starting lineup for Buffalo tonight. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Dark, will be uh, be under center for the uh, New York Jets. And a lot of optimism in New York. And after the game that the Giants had yesterday, fans in New York are praying to God that Monday night goes a little bit better than Sunday night did. It's 48 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 50 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. On a Monday morning, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, Red Sox actually beat the Orioles yesterday. How about that? In a game that was uh, delayed by rain twice, the Red Sox beat the Orioles 7-3. Look, I, I, everybody knows the Red Sox aren't making the playoffs. Everybody knows how good the Orioles are. I still question whether the Orioles have enough um, enough experience to handle postseason. And you can say, well, look, they've won 90 games. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm just telling you that experience in the playoffs makes a difference. And I'm not sure that the Orioles are there. We'll find out. But they, there's no question they have a lot of talent. But I think with the Red Sox yesterday, I think what was uh, great to see is that with the team kind of knowing where they are now, uh, they're giving some of the young kids a chance to play. Uh, Sedan Rafaela got to start in center field yesterday. Uh, William Abreu has been great. He had a five-hit game on Saturday against the Orioles. What a wild game, by the way, on Saturday. Uh, what was it, 14-13 to 13 or 13-12? to 12? Uh, the Red Sox damn near came back. William Abreu was five for five in that game. Uh, had another hit yesterday. He's hitting three forty-two. I mean, small sample size, but uh, Arias got to start. Tristan Casas with a three-run home run late in this game to to, to break it open, and uh, so the young kids are showing Red Sox fans what they can expect next year. Rafaela is a Gold Glove caliber center fielder. Made a great catch yesterday. Uh, he can go get it. And, and having him. And having Jaron Duran healthy next year uh, with what he did this year in that outfield, uh, they're going to cover a lot of ground. And uh, Trevor Story with a a, a couple of great plays over the weekend at shortstop. You're seeing what a healthy uh, Trevor Story can do again. You know, a lot of people worry about the Red Sox defense this year. One of the things they forget is, you know, early in the season, don't forget half the year, uh, our shortstop was Kike Hernandez who had like 17 errors. You know, so a lot of the problems, a lot of the errors that the Red Sox had were because you got a guy who's not a shortstop playing shortstop. And, you know, look, uh, Rafi Devers' problems with uh, defense are what they are, but you'll take Rafi Devers all day uh, just because of his bat. You, you just have to learn to live with that. But uh, And Brian Bayo, the young kid, picked up his 12th victory of the year last year. Was he great? No, five innings, three runs, four strikeouts, didn't walk anybody. And then the bullpen does a great job. And uh, the Red Sox beat the Orioles 7-3, a game that doesn't mean anything in terms of the standings. Uh, Yankees-Brewers. This was an old-time classic, ladies and gentlemen. How about the fact that the Milwaukee Brewers had a no-hitter for like 11 innings, 10 and two-thirds innings, I believe, until the Yankees finally got a hit. I mean, it was unbelievable. Garrett Cole started for the Yankees. He pitched seven innings. Only gave up three. It struck out nine. Didn't walk anybody. Corbin Burns started for Milwaukee. Eight no-hit innings. Devin Williams comes on and throws a no-hit uh, no ninth. Uribe comes on 
throws a no-hit tenth, and they finally get a hit uh, off of uh, uh, Piamps in the 11th before they finally get a hit in this game. It would have been the first. It could have been the first no-hitter for 11 innings in Major League Baseball history. Because Milwaukee scored a run in the top of the 11th, but the Yankees come back, score one uh, in the bottom. Milwaukee scores two in the top of the 12th. The Yankees score two in the bottom. And then finally, uh, the Yankees win it in the 13th inning. You don't see a lot of 13-inning games with these uh, new rules in Major League Baseball. But, boy, what a what a gem that was yesterday. The Yankees win 4-3. Uh, to three. I mean, look, what do the Red Sox have to play for right now? They have to play for staying ahead of the Yankees. That's <laughs> That's that's where I'm at right now. Just stay ahead of the Yankees. So the Red Sox remain uh, two games ahead of the Yankees for last place in the AL East. Uh, but for look, Milwaukee, that's a big game uh, as they uh, they try to lock up the NL Central. They are three games clear of the Chicago Cubs, who are currently in wild card position. Uh, but uh, that was a a fun game yesterday. The, an old time classic. The Rays win again. Uh, they beat the Seattle Mariners six to three. So Tampa remains three games back of Baltimore for the lead in the AL East. Uh, Seattle still in the third wild card spot, but they are just a half a game ahead of Texas, who's finally out of their slump. Texas had like a seven-game losing streak, but they finally picked things up. Uh, they've won their last two. They're a half a game back of Seattle for the third wild card and a game and a half back of Toronto for the second wild card. So, you know, that's where we're at yesterday. The Rangers beat the Oakland Athletics yesterday 9-4. Uh, to four. Uh, despite the fact that their starter, John Gray, wasn't very good. Andrew Heaney came out of the bullpen, settled things down, picked up the win his 10th of the season. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Uh, Again, uh, as you're going throughout your day, just take a minute to remember um, 9-11 and everybody that lost their lives and the uh, the heroism shown by the FDNY and the, uh, uh, the New York Police Department as well. And uh, we're going to leave you this morning with some music from Alan Jackson, uh, a song that he wrote um, to memorialize what happened that day. Where were you when the world stopped turning? We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.